so, um, you know, San Francisco's got, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> the Golden Gate Bridge, and Seattle's got the Space Needle. Uh, New York's got the Statue of Liberty. Well, Longview, Washington has the Nutty Narrows Bridge. The, the Nutty Narrows Bridge spans Olympia Way. It was built in 1963 by a local builder, the late Amos Peters, to give squirrels a way to cross the road. It allows them to dodge traffic to and from the Park Plaza building where the office staff put out a nutty feast for the squirrels, it says. So many times workers near the Park Plaza witnesses, witnessed squirrels being run over as they were trying to get these these treats that they put out for him. And uh, so this guy built this pr- this bridge. And uh, this, the squirrels have even learned to escort their young ones across this bridge. And in addition to the Nutty Narrows Bridge, four more bridges have been constructed. And uh, there's a, a five have been constructed. Sixth bridge is in the works. And you're wondering, where am I going with this? You just have to hang on for a sec. As... You know, as we've been looking at the Lord's Prayer over the last few weeks, you know, this pattern prayer that Jesus gave us established us in prayer beginning with a focus on God. Remember, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, worshiping the Lord. You know, he's, he's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our, our praise. You know, we long to see his kingdom come. We long to see the Lord reigning in this world, we long to see him reigning in our hearts. And, you know, we, we can go to him with our needs. We need to approach him to give us help with being people of forgiveness as he's forgiven us. He, he freely offers his, his forgiveness. And today we're going to see that uh, we can rely on him to provide a way for us, a way for deliverance from from sin and from Satan, our our two biggest enemies. And finally, we're going to look at the last part where we acknowledge him as Lord of all. We we begin with with an eye towards the Lord and and we end also in worship. So let's uh, let's read the uh, full text of the prayer again. I'm going to be reading in Matthew 6 verses 9 through 13. I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version. So if you could stand with me and say this with me, if if you will. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please sit. So the first thing I want to look at is, uh, you know, let's look at how we need to look to God for deliverance from sin. Deliverance from sin, you know, as we... As we read the biblical narrative, we see that sin is a really big issue for us as, as human beings right from the start. We all know what happened with Adam and Eve as they 
turned away from God. They rebelled and, and went their own way. Uh, certainly didn't stop with them, did it? You know, their, their son Cain murdered his brother Abel. And, uh, you know, God's, God said something really interesting to Cain before this happened. This, I find this really intriguing. Uh, in, in Genesis 4, 5 through 7, remember uh, Cain had, had sacrificed uh, an animal offering or a, a grain offering. Abel had uh, offered an animal offering, and we'll, we'll get into that. But Cain was angry because the Lord didn't regard his sacrifice. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not know or do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. You know, this, this whole idea of of sin crouching at our door, you know, we we see that uh, this this tendency towards sin is something that's a uh, a real danger. It's a present danger with us from from day to day. You know, the uh, letter from James presents a, a picture of our struggle with sin, our struggle with temptation, and our our tendency to sin. And he talks about what I like to call the, the anatomy of a sin, and, and we'll, we'll get there in just a second. But look at, what, look at what Jesus is saying right here. He says, lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation. And, um, you know, it's kind of, this could be kind of confusing. What, what does it mean, lead us not into temptation? It almost sounds like, we're asking God not to tempt us, right? But uh, that's that's not what Jesus is saying here. You know, we we know that God does not tempt us to sin. Uh, we're, we're told in James, the first chapter, James one thirteen through fifteen, let no one say when he's tempted, "I'm being tempted by God," for God cannot be tempted with evil, and He Himself tempts no one. Listen to this. He says, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. You know, this is the, the anatomy of the, sin, of the sin. This is how sin progresses. And, you know, one thing we need to notice from this passage in James, that James is that we're really good at this, aren't we? This this being enticed by our own desires. Uh, we need to give. We need to let God lead us in the way, His way, the way to righteousness. Uh, you know this this anatomy of the sin. You know it begins by us being drawn away, led away by our own desire. We need his deliverance from this tendency to sin. We need his deliverance from uh, the enemy, Satan, but we need to be delivered from our own fleshly desires. We need to rely on God. We need to be in communion with him. This is why Jesus says, make this part of your prayer. We We need to really commit this to the Lord when we pray. 
Deliver us. Deliver us from evil. Deliver us from this, this tendency towards evil that we have in our, our flesh. You know, Jesus told his disciples in Matthew twenty six forty one this. He said, watch and pray that you do not enter into temptation. And once we forget about God, once we get distracted and become self-focused, we begin to think that we can rely on our own strength. We begin to think that we can do this on our own, but we can't. We need to rely on God to, to lead us into this path of righteousness versus leading us or you know, allowing us to, uh, to be tempted. We can't do it on our own. 1 Corinthians 10.12 says this, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he falls. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation he'll also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. This is what we need to ask for. This is what we need to rely on from, from our Lord. So just as this, this nutty, narrow bridge provided these squirrels away across the road without getting squashed, we need to ask God to, to give us a way, to give us a path, to lead us into deliverance from, from evil. So praying lead us not into temptation, maybe like uh, praying to God, give me, a, give me a bridge over this, this thoroughfare, keep me from uh, falling into the, the sin that, that, I'm so, that I so easily do fall into. Here's, here's another illustration I, I found online. I kind of like this. You might, uh, you have to think about this one. Okay. We might illustrate Jesus' words, lead us not into temptation like this. Suppose a mother takes her young children grocery shopping with her and comes to the candy aisle. She knows that taking her children down that aisle will only stir up greediness in their hearts and lead to bouts of whining and pouting. In wisdom, she takes another route. Whatever she may have needed down the candy aisle will have to wait for another day. In this way, the mother averts unpleasantness and spares her children from a trial. Praying, lead us not into temptation, is like praying, God, don't take me down the candy aisle today. You know, it's recognizing that, that we naturally grasp for unprofitable things and that God's wisdom can avert the unpleasantness of our belly aching. Think about that. So we, we observe in this anatomy of sin in James that, you know, even without Satan, even without the enemy, we do just fine on our own in succumbing to our own sinful desires, giving in and, and sinning. But Satan is alive and well, and we need to pray for deliverance from Satan. That's, that's point number two. Deliver us from, from evil, uh, the, the article, the is is used in this. So he's he's actually saying deliver us from the evil, really translated the evil one who is Satan. So, you know, the the evil goes beyond just this uh this evil tendency. We need to be delivered from evil, but we need to be delivered from our enemy. And uh in in Ephesians 6:12, Paul tells us 
We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. So we're in a battle in the spiritual realm. Michael Wilkins says, Satan's influence is behind every attempt to turn a testing into a temptation to evil. So Jesus teaches his disciples they must rely on God, not only for physical sustenance but and, and forgiveness of sins, but also for moral triumph and spiritual victory in all the spiritual battles of life. So Ephesians 6 uh, gives us a good picture of this this struggle in the spiritual realm. And he, t- he tells us, the Apostle Paul, to take on the full armor of God that we might be able to stand. The whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day in having done all to stand firm. You get this picture of a, of a soldier fully armed and equipped, standing firm, standing strong in battle. God's given us this armor. We need to put it on. We need to use it. You know, the, do you remember what the armor is? The, the, the belt of truth, the, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of readiness given by the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit, our, our defensive weapon, which is the word of God. Remember how did how did Satan how did Jesus deal with Satan when he was tempted in the wilderness? That sword of the spirit, the word of God, you know, and this this really points us to the necessity of of knowing God's word, reading it, studying it, memorizing it, so that the Holy Spirit can use that, bring it back to memory when we are tempted, just like Jesus. And when Paul talks about this, this armor of God, he, he brings it together at the end. I love the way he does this. He says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. You know, we need to be in constant communion with God. He's the one that gives us the, the power to fight the spiritual battle. Now, finally, we need to pray with selfish, not selfish, Selfless, we need to pray with selfless worship. So we, we end in, in worship. We need to acknowledge God's ownership, his, his lordship. You know, it's forever his kingdom, his power, his glory. Now there's, there's some debate among biblical scholars whether this, this last part, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, Amen. Uh, that's that's why some some translations might omit it, or it might be in your translation as as a footnote. Uh, but that does not diminish our stand on on the inerrancy of the Scripture. Our statement of faith says this: We believe that God has spoken in the Scriptures, both Old and New Testaments, through the words of human authors. As the verbally inspired word of God, the Bible is without error in the original writings. And that's, that's the key point. The complete revelation of his will for salvation and the ultimate authority by which every realm of human knowledge and endeavor should be judged. 
endeavor should be judged. Therefore, it's to be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, and trusted in all its promises. And we don't hold any particular translation to be God-inspired, per se. You know, it's those original manuscripts. And there's, again, a debate as to whether this part appeared in the original manuscript. But we, we know that in any case, it's absolutely true. And it's scriptural. It comes from uh, David's prayer in First Chronicles uh, 29, 10 through 13. And I think that's in your notes. Did I put that in there? Listen to this. Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that's in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and give strength to all. And now we thank you, O God, and praise your glorious name. I love that. So, let's look at three things in this. Let's look at three things. First, it's, it's God's kingdom. God's kingdom that we are to seek. We pray, remember earlier, that we want to see God's kingdom come. We want to see his reign. We want to see his lordship. You know, His kingdom, not ours. And that's the key. It's his kingdom. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Not mine is the kingdom and power and glory, which is our natural tendency. We, we fall into error when we do that, we also fall into error when we attempt to bring God's kingdom by worldly or earthly means. You know, Jesus made it very clear when he was on trial before Pilate in uh, John eighteen thirty six. He said, my kingdom is, is, of, is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might be, not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. Pilate said to him, so you're a king? Jesus answered, you said that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into this world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So where is our citizenship? Yes, we really need to consider this. And, and Paul says this in, in uh, Philippians. Philippians 3.18, he says, For many of whom I have often told you and will tell now, even with tears, walk as enemies. Let me start over with that. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So we need to take a stand as the, the children of God 
as citizens of heaven versus taking our stand uh, with some political party. You know, we, we can never equate our Christian stand our, our Christianity with, with a, uh, a political party. You know, we, we, we can never give unconditional loyalty to any political figure. You know, there's, there's only one who deserves our unconditional loyalty. Who is that? It's, it's our Lord. You know, the, uh, what, what happens when we do give our loyalty unconditionally to any man you know, we, we do resort to worldly methods. Uh, we, we try to use our power to manipulate each other. We, we believe lies. We, we shed blood. We, we undermine the, the very principles that we think we're fighting for. We abandon the truth. Uh, you know, brothers and sisters, we've, we've got to get away from believing everything that we, that we read online. There's a lot of things that, that deviate from the truth. You know, the, the media has, has become a, a cauldron of, of misinformation. Um, yeah, I, I do my best to avoid making political statements from, from the pulpit, but please hear me clearly. When I, when I see uh, people committing violence and, and shedding blood and committing insurrection... Um, in the name of Jesus, uh, I have to call that sin. We have to see that as, as unrighteousness. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter who is doing these things. We, these things, we cannot condone them. We cannot condone sin and, and rebellion. Um, we need to be truth seekers. We need to be people who are discerning and can recognize the truth. We need to be truth speakers as well. You know, we're, we're, we're praying from deliverance from, from the evil one, Satan, who is the father of all lies. He's the father of all untruth and, and misinformation. And he's the one that, that gains victory if, if we fall prey to these untruths and this misinformation that is, is running rampant. And if we believe and say something that we think is right and later find out it's true, we need to have the, humil- the humility to say, I was wrong. You know, we need, we need to be able to, to set things right. So our, our unconditional allegiance belongs to God alone. Uh, there, there's no legitimate place in the, in the church for partisan politics. Why is that? Because lying, violence, pride, ungodliness, and satanic anti-biblical ideology and behavior is rampant on both sides of the aisle. When we allow partisan politics to guide us, we disregard life. We disregard life in the womb and outside of the womb. We need to protect life. We need to help the helpless. You know, we need to 
put a high value on, on the lives of the most vulnerable, those who are in the womb, those who are elderly, those who have infirmities. You know, in, in Jesus' teaching on the kingdom of God, notice again and again that, that the kingdom of God is, is associated with healing. It's associated with victory over Satan. If, if we seek God's kingdom, we need to honor all life. When uh, Satan tempted Jesus, he remember, he showed him all these, these kingdoms of, of the world, and he, he made Jesus an offer. In Matthew 4, 8, and 9, it says, The devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he said to them, All these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. That brings us to, to the third part. We need to seek his kingdom and his righteousness. Let's, let's not seek our own kingdom and our own righteousness. And along with this, we need to acknowledge that it's God's power, God's power. So these three, these three things, kingdom, power, and glory, they all go together. We need to seek the power of God in our lives in a way that, that glorifies him. We need to seek his reign, his kingdom. What happens when we don't? We seek our own power. When, when Jesus begins his ministry in, in the Gospels, we, you know, we read that one of the very first things he says is, repent. Repent for the, the kingdom of God is, is at hand. You know, if we're if we're not seeking God's kingdom and, and His power and His glory, we we need to repent. Uh, we we need to shed our pride. We need to shed our rebellion. We need to realign our our loyalties. If we're seeking other than His kingdom and power and glory, what's going to happen? We're going to find that we have more in common with. Uh, Unbelievers who share our political views than with our fellow believers who don't. You know, our, our political party will, will become our church. It'll become the basis of our our loyalty. We'll we'll hold our heads high above those who we disagree with. If if we're leaders, we'll we'll lead by bullying. If we lead by the tools of Satan rather than leading by love, we're not going to be godly leaders. You know, if we, if we take our cues from unbelievers rather than from the word of God and, and by the spirit of God, uh, you know, we're going to look more like uh, Friedrich Nietzsche who had a desire for the will to power rather than like a servant leader conformed to the image of, of Christ. So I've, I, this is something I've seen in a lot of churches that I've been in over, over my life, this, this uh, desire to have power in the church, power and control. And I don't know why this happens, but it just seems like people who are very normal and friendly on the outside walk into a church building and become power hungry. Um. They, they they try to control everything, you know, from the, the music that we sing to the color of the carpet 
to even uh, the, the words that your pastor is, is speaking. Uh, where, does, where does this desire come from? Um, it's not right. It's, it comes from the flesh. You know, we're, we're not to seek to be powerful in the church, whether we're just members in the congregation or when we're, we're leaders. You know, this desire is fleshly. It's inspired by satanic principles. We need to bring this, this tendency to God. That's why we're talking about this. This is part of our prayer. We need to hand this over to the Lord, this, this fleshly tendency to want to exert our power. We need to acknowledge to him, it's your kingdom, it's your power, it's your glory. You know, we need to keep going back to this principle of humility because we're told God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. You know, do we believe that? Do we, do we demonstrate it in our, our words and in our actions? Oh, by the way, this isn't new. You know, when Jesus uh, was with his disciples on earth, in Luke 22, we read, Verses 24 through 27. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the king of the Gentiles exercised lordship over them and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become the, the youngest and, and the leader is one who served, who serves For who is greater, one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. Jesus came as as a servant, and we are to be like him. We have a responsibility to serve It's, it's his power that we must seek and, and not ours. Uh, speaking of Jesus and, and his power, the apostle Paul writes in Romans 1, 4, he was declared the son of God with power and by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of his holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. The power is his. And he reveals a source of, of our power in Acts 1.8, does he not? He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even the remotest parts of the earth. So if our, if our power, if our source of power comes from anything other than the, uh, the Spirit of God, we will fail. Our, our work will be uh, wood, hay, and stubble which will not endure rather than precious metal. So we need to acknowledge and and seek God's kingdom, God's power, and finally, uh, his glory. What what is our purpose? What What did God save us for? It's for God's glory. Why did he put us here as a church? It's for his glory, not ours. 
we get in trouble when we, when we seek our own glory. Uh, we get in trouble and we, we miss the mark when, you know, we, we do things just to look good, seeking uh, praise and affirmation and admiration. Uh, and this, this is an easy trap to fall into. You know, we can, we can do really good things for, for the wrong reasons, can't we? But, it, but God cares about our motives. He cares about our hearts. You know, what did Jesus said? He said, don't pray to be acknowledged and admired by men. He said, uh, you know, don't do good deeds in order to be recognized. He said, uh, don't seek the limelight, essentially. We're to be servants. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So the things that we do need to be done unto the Lord. And they should encourage others to see God's uh, goodness and, and to give him the glory. Uh, you know, I've mentioned social media. Maybe I'm being hard on social media today, but uh, you know, one of the things that kind of makes me cringe when I look at uh, something like uh, Facebook is people who, you know, paint this picture of their, their perfect lives, right? Their perfect families, their perfect whatever they're into. Building this, this false reality and, and, and trying to get as many followers as, as they can. Uh, it seems like a very prideful place to me. It seems like a very angry place. And again, um, I, I look at it and I see, I see Christians uh, ridiculing other people. I see Christians railing against other people. I, I don't always see a very good witness on, on uh, social media, you know, and it's, it's a very angry place. It's a very prideful place. There are some good things about it, but uh, it's, it's, a, it's a dangerous place, I think. And myself, I've really had to distance myself because it's easy for me to get drawn into becoming angry when I see some of the things that, that people post. You know, the, it, it all boils down to this. We need to be God-seekers, not self-seekers. We need to glorify God, not seek our own glory. You know, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, not mine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. So we need, we need to bring this to the Lord. We need to humble ourselves before him. And ask him to protect us from this tendency to be selfish. You know, our, again, our, our actions, our words need to draw people towards the Lord, not away from him. We need to show the world that there's very compelling evidence that, that Christ has changed our lives. He's made us into new creations. We're not like the world. We're different. Those who are lost need to see our love 
They need to see God's love and God's salvation. So rather than seeking followers for ourselves, you know, we need to be helping other people become followers of Christ. We need to be able to say, follow me as I follow Christ. So again, we need to, we need to bring these things to the Lord in prayer. We need to seek his protection from sin and, and the enemy, Satan. We need to rely on him to provide us safe passage to help us overcome our our natural tendency towards sin. We need to rely on him to equip us for spiritual warfare. We need to know that, that we have victory because we are in Christ and Christ is the victorious one. We don't have to sin. We can rely on our Lord. And we did we need to seek his kingdom, his power and his glory in everything we do, our, our personal lives, in our, our families, in, in the workplace, in our church, in, in the community, wherever we go, we need to seek his kingdom, his power, and his glory. And we need his help with all these things. We can't do it on our own. That's why we need to be people of prayer. Well, let's pray. Let's pray. Our Father... In, in Jesus' name, through through the Holy Spirit, uh, we need you, Lord. We we desperately uh, need you. We need your help, uh, Lord. In, empower us with your Spirit to have victory over over sin and temptation and, and the enemy, Lord. Uh, help us to check our attitudes when we try to repay evil for evil, or or reviling for reviling. Help us, Lord, instead to overcome evil with good. Um, Lord, save us from our natural tendency to to seek power and and glory for for ourselves. Instead, Lord, give give us a hunger for you and your glory and your righteousness, Lord, uh, Help us as as people to be people of prayer. Help us as a church to, to be a house of prayer. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for the instruction you have given us in this, this model prayer. Lord, help us to take it to heart and, and practice it. And Lord, we do acknowledge yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right, if able, please stand for hymn 337. Praise to the Lord God, the Almighty.
last song is a new song, but the tune should be familiar. It's the tune of Old Lang Syne.
This is the uh, last version or last verse in uh, Ephesians. Peace be to the brothers and love from faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be to or grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Amen.